You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Welcome to episode 131 of Line of Sight. Holy crud, Chandler has drilled that into my head with a particular cadence. I'm Jaden, <laughs> and that's Brett laughing at me. <laughs> yep, that's... Yeah, if it's someone laughing at Jaden, it's usually me. I mean, no, it's usually both of you. <laughs> very honest about this. I, I, I take... I hold no responsibility in any of this. You know, that's just, true. I'm a guest. Yep. And I'm a guest, and a, I will... A, our guest host is Sabra, who you might remember from Pillars of Salt. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Which makes, I, uh, us, which makes us Pillars of Paint, my favorite, my favorite name yes. of the podcast. Yep, this is Pillars of Paint, episode like three or something. It's, yeah. it's episode 26. We've been consistent and definitely not <laughs> slacking on this at all. Yeah, yeah, there, no. was, there was the one where, you tr- where the one where I got very frustrated, the one where I came back from my results, and then this one. So yeah, three. Yeah, this is the, the third episode. And then I think like we did one with Chandler that was like, here's how we speed paint. And Brett was like, I don't oh. understand any of this. I wasn't actually there, yeah. but I don't think. Oh, yeah. That might I was going to say, I wasn't on one with Chandler. I haven't been on one with Chandler yet. It's okay. You probably had uh, Tyson on. Uh, that might have been it. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, as you can tell, we're extremely organized today. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about news right now. There's the Gen, the not Gen Con streams going on. Um, Private Tour Press has a whole bunch of them. They're happening like three a day, yeah. today, tomorrow, and Saturday. And, and sometimes they're... in the right order. And sometimes in the right order. They dropped the uh, IKRPG stuff early on accident instead of the Riot Quest thing because everything's pre-recorded. Right. Yep. So it was uh, pretty good. The I was the only one that watched it. Correct. Uh, yes, the, the IKRPG stuff? Yeah, the Requiem video. Yeah, I've been buying a car all day. I haven't had any time for hobby stuff. Responsibilities, ick. <laughs> anyway, um, it was Oz and Hungerford, and for the most part, what they were going over, um, because they kind of touched on the world overarching scenario in the keynote spoil what they were primarily going over today was uh no rules or anything like that but general concepts of what the classes were going to look like in this first book and based on what they were talking about there's going to have to be like several expansions beyond this first for lack of a better term module Um, i am very okay with that yeah, I, I heard someone say there was like 24 subclasses they were talking about. Something like that. I didn't actually keep count, and there yeah. was a whole lot they skimmed over and are going to leave out of this first book. So for those that don't know me, I'm hardcore Circle. Like, Circle Orbros is the faction I play. I don't deviate hardly at all, although I'm not going to lie. I just put Crucible Guard on the table and loved it immensely. So also, we'll get to that later. Oh, you've played a lot of minions. I did, but only because they were better Circle at the time. As soon as Circle became (laughs) good, I went right back. (laughs) Like, literally, Circle got real bad for a minute, so I played Minions begrudgingly because it was kind of sort of better Circle. And then the second Tharn dropped, I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) So, anyway. And that's why we were Pillars of Salt and not Pillars of Happiness. (laughs) No, for sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> salt. Also because that spell such doesn't a friendly exist. Term. <laughs> okay, hold on a second. What would Pillars of Happiness do, Brett? Go. Um, it would. It would. It would be a Blightbringer aura. It would be plus two strength and armor while you're in it. Interesting. Accurate. All right. <laughs> That'd be actually a really good spell. <laughs> Just like it's an AOE five and friendly models inside of it get plus two strength and armor. Mm-hmm. That would be Better idea. Real good. Yeah. It just yeah. places three meddling corbos. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I like. Yeah, I like. Meddling corbos is really hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's archon meta. We're like, all right, I got thirty points archons. Meddling corbos is like, I'm right here. <laughs> and they're like, I can't do anything about that. Okay. Them right archons say hello. Okay. <laughs> you sure killed that uh, Annihilation Servitor. <laughs> Fair enough. And All right. now I am down one murder ball. <laughs> so, it was really hardcore in the circle. circle. Uh, yes, accurate. Why was that relevant to IKRPG? <laughs> because they're not doing any Hordes content in this first book. Therefore, I was not. very sad panda. And as such, they're not touching... For the most part, the wizard, sorcerer, or warlock in this first book. Either. Or druids, I would imagine, right? Uh, no, not not so much. Um, so they implied – the way they were talking about it, because they touched on druids specifically, they went through the classes in alphabetical order like they're laid out in the D&D books. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they were going through, they were touching on – some of the subclasses, I don't have the list in front of me and I don't have a computer to check them, but uh, I'm sure somebody's done a summary of what subclasses they had talked yeah, about. Yeah, I'm looking at one right now. Do you want me to start going through it? Sure, go for it. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of these. I'm going to talk real fast now for a second, guys. All right, so there's a new class called an alchemist. It's kind of like a rogue thief that has grenades and it can use synthesis to concoct stuff. Um, yep. That's kind of cool. Barbarians are coming in a future book. They're basing them off of Tharn, apparently. Mm-hmm. Cool. Bard are also coming in a future book because the new bards are going to be fell callers. No, no, those are those are mercenaries. So they'll they'll be. Oh, one. okay. Well, I want to play a bard and I want to yell at everybody. Um, you can do that <laughs> as soon as Kickstarter. Yes, I, I so, Okay, so one, one, one thing, thing they mentioned that they... is that well, yeah, there are going to be three books on this Kickstarter. Yeah, the yeah. four rules, a bestiary, and a module of some sort. Right. Um, one thing cool. they were talking about, uh, the fell caller, just since you bring it up, is that one thing they're playing around with right now is the ability to communicate long distances by screaming. <laughs> Literally like five mile distance screaming at so each other. Instead of but, message, you just yell. Yes. <laughs> that's actually that's, a, that's a rule in the older RPG. <laughs> cool. Uh, there's going to be new cleric domains. There's going to be Menite, Morrowind, and Thamorite. And boy, does, does that sound really fun. I I'm yeah. Those. I think that's them right. Them right would be really fun to play. Them right. Also, like, okay. So here's the thing. Menite cleric sounds like basically like a fighter mixed with a fire mage mixed with a cleric, and I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So there's going to be druids. Yeah, in well, and that's book. that's one of the that's one of the best things about the IK fluff is that the gods are not nice. <laughs> like no, uh, <laughs> menite clerics are not lawful good. <laughs> uh, well, maybe unless they like are paladiny. Menite clerics. I don't know. Anyway, that's true. And they were actually talking about one of the uh, paladin oaths. I think it was. Yeah, we'll get to that. that Yeah. Okay. Paladins. Druids are coming in a future book. Um, We're all going to be salty because they're going to be good in the IK RPG, and they're going to be garbage on the table still. (laughs) Probably though. Uh, new class called Mechanic, which is fixing Warjacks and Mechanica. There's going to be subclasses of Field Mechanic, Iron Head, and Arcane Mechanic. 
which gave, makes Mechanica and has access to... Okay, why would you ever play this class? Well, I'd like <laughs> to point out that two of those three subclasses completely destroyed the game of IKRPG. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, the, uh, like, owning a Warjack was so prohibitively expensive, they had to rebalance the economy of the whole, whole game. Um, I mean... Okay, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, they um, tactfully dodged in this dev chat. They yeah, said, we're we'll not that. talking about the economy. And I was like, oh, uh, I wonder was, what that's based in. It's it's because when you get Warship players to, to play an RPG, they start looking at systems. And yep. that was not where they want they, you to look at RPGs. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, and in, in the opposite way, Arcane Mechanics, they made, like, high-level enchantments trivially easy to get. So, like, you, you would have an Arcane Mechanic on your team for, like, a week, and you'd have, yep. like, max-level gear. It's like, what just happened? Nice. <laughs> uh, there's going to be three kinds of fighter archetypes. Battle Chaplains, which, is, like, raise the spirits of teammates, do morale things, so kind of like a bard. Man-at-Arms, which is lots of weapons, but you're more defensive or reactive, like the Bokor. And then Storm Knight, where gear has a storm tag that has a chance to shock you without the correct armor. Now, I'm which... really excited to just, like, litter storm gear all over the place and have players try to use it and hurt themselves. Yep. It's going to be wonderful. They so... did mention that a couple of these, particularly the Storm Knight was called out specifically, uh, is one of the classes that's not super uh, cross-compatible with, like, just a generic 5e campaign. They said yeah. they're trying to make most of it compatible across space. But uh, there's a couple of them, like the Warcaster and like the Storm Knight, that are like, yeah, this 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 yeah. doesn't really work there. <laughs> I, yeah. I love the idea of a lightning sorcerer who's just decided to deck himself in armor and call himself a Storm Knight. <laughs> I am all over that idea. Um, there's a new class called a Gunslinger, which is interesting because there's a really, really well-maintained like homebrew class for Gunslinger on D&D Beyond already. So that's going to be curious what they do with that. They might change the name. Uh, Pistolier, which is handguns, that's a subclass. Rifleman, which is sniper, also subclass. And then gun mage, which is why everybody should probably be, because they're way cooler. Um, where you get to have magic effects on bullets, but you're apparently much worse at using firearms, which... Okay. Balance. Yeah. Uh, two new subclasses of monk, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Order Same. of the Way of the Fist. I am so excited. So is that... Uh, yeah. Is that... Uh, Legion of the... Oh, yeah, Legion of the Orifice. Right. No, or, uh, Punch Monks. Kicking Monks. Punch Monks. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that their full name? No, it's uh, Alleg Allegiant. What did I say? Yes. You said Legion. Okay, I meant to say Allegiant. Okay. I'm, I'm not good at saying. Cool. So, apparently, if you don't move, you get different stances, and you can spend key points to make ranged attacks, which is... Wait, what? what? Can, can, can they do that in War Machine? Okay, so... No. Hungerford described that in in fluffy terms. He's talking about like ranged uh, Buddhist palm. Okay, like That's cool. Higher tier, from the way he was speaking, higher tier ability where you know you start doing melee attacks and it hits people like fifty feet away. Cool. There's also Thamorite monks, which is like deception. You're, you're psychic. You can steal memories. You're good at spying. You've got imitation impersonation abilities. That sounds really cool too. Thamar is a talked... sweet god. Yeah, he talked about them being particularly uh, gifted in espionage to the point where, and it was weird the way he described it. He said they have such good muscular control, they can shift their face to actually look like other weird. people. Like, not perfectly, but they have enough control over their body that they can completely change their gait, 
their facial expressions, and eventually they get to a point where they can just mimic somebody's voice on hearing it perfectly. Cool. Yeah. So that brings us to Paladins, where we get the Oath of the Wall, which gives yourself and friendly buddies increased armor class, and you get reactions when your party gets hit. I can't decide if this is the one I'm most excited to play or if it's more the Storm Knight, but who am I kidding? I'm a DM. I'm never going to get to play any of this stuff. <laughs> Hashtag same. <laughs> yeah, I'm going down. So I'm going down to Utah next week, and I'm running the one shot. <laughs> Chandler's gonna. If y'all don't stream that, I'm gonna be uh, mad at you. I don't think we're planning on it, but I don't know. We could record it or something. Hashtag um, please. <laughs> <you're> we'll, we'll, <laughs> um, there's also the Oath of Radiance Paladins, where dead stay dead, and you cleanse evil magic and stuff, which sounds a lot more like a typical paladin. Uh, Rangers, there's Bounty Hunters, and this note says more of them later coming. Bounty mm -hmm. Hunters are good at tra tracking subduing, they're contract focused, and there's Mage Hunters, and this is the only ret thing in the starter kit, more stuff in the future apparently. Anti-magic focus, favorite enemy is spellcasters. You can sense magic use, you can easily break concentration spells. That sounds super dope. I'm all about yeah, that. Not to mention powerful, like forcing concentration spells to, to stop seems real good. Yep. And and sense sense spells tend to break games. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there's the vigilance, which are like order of illumination. They're witch hunters. That's going to be kind of cool. And uh, and also dragon hunters because they don't have souls. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> rogues are going to be. I don't know why they're making more rogue classes. To be honest, um, cutthroat, which is like backstab, intimidation, criminal syndicate range things that sounds an awful lot like a mix of the thief and the assassin and then yeah, there's I'm, I'm shocked that these wouldn't exist already yeah and then there's duelist which is like you you compel or taunt people to fight you one-on-one -on -one, which doesn't sound very roguelike at all to me but okay uh that's a classic rogue thing but i agree yeah <laughs> it's that's a weird like machiavellian kind of rogue rather than like golem it doesn't really <laughs> fit in my head canon of this well, so it's just like how um, clerics don't use swords. It's something that they did in original D&D, and it's stuck ever since. Mm -hmm. Think Han Solo. Uh, yeah, okay. And then, as we mentioned, Sorcerer, Warlock, and Wizard are not in this in this book. And also, um, it says there's new Wizard and Warlock spells in the book. Um, yes. But Wizard, Warlock, Sorcerer spells in the book, but because there's so many Wizard options and they fit really nicely in the DIK universe already, like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, it did say warlocks are going to be infernalists, which makes perfect sense in this world. Yep. And boy, I think that's the class I'm most excited to play, <laughs> or at least to role play for my characters to try and beat. Yeah. Um, lots of new backgrounds: trencher, explorer, spy. That's actually really cool. I think the the backgrounds are one of the things that Five E does really well. And agreed. I, I think that's going to be new, really cool. And then, of course. Warcaster, which has got also multiple subclasses, which they did not specify, and they're mm -hmm. still working on balancing it. <laughs> Quote, they're trying to avoid the overpoweredness of the previous edition. I'm so. genuinely curious how they're going to handle battle groups. Like, if it's going to be companion animals like the druid and the ranger have, or if it's literally so, just a machine, like a tool. If I really like the way they do it, I'll use their method. But if I don't, then my Warcasters are going to start the game with a Cortex, and they're going to have to, like, find new things to plug that Cortex into. So at the beginning, maybe your Cortex is in a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that lawnmower following you? No reason. 
right. we're friends. Like, <laughs> friends, yeah. And then, like, as you get better, like, I think in D&D economy terms, a Warjack is probably, like, 10,000 gold. Yeah. And maybe, maybe a Laborjack's, like, 1,000, but then you need all of the upgrades and things that go on it. Like, I can't imagine that a Warjack weapon is cheap. Like, the raw materials for that thing is several hundred pounds of solid metal. Um, um, you, can, you can get by with a tree. <laughs> sure. Labor Jack's probably <laughs> saving trees a lot. Um, anyway, I'm super You find a giant excited. camp, you just grab whatever nearby weapons they happen to have. Are giants a thing in PIK RPG? No, but yeah, in D&D yeah, they, they are. Actually, uh, giants are actually in the Iron Kingdoms. Um, but Are they really? They are, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're on the scale of, like, they're like dragon scaled. <laughs> they're like like mountain sized. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah. Dude, I had That's... no idea. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they the scale people people different. Yeah, before Infernals was announced, we were talking about new factions and we're like giants. And <laughs> I think I think Wilson's like, no, because a giant army would just be one model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, the other and thing. And really everybody sells about... their soul to Black Anchor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I'm really curious about here is like so many of the classic like end boss things for D&D campaigns in this universe won't work. Like a dragon is roughly the size of a city. Mm-hmm. Well, they already said that even even like going into the heretic is basically like a god level fight. Oh yeah, like we don't understand what what the power level of warcasters and warlocks on the table is actually compared to like their fluff levels. Like the heretic right. should not like let's see, is there anybody in the entire faction of Kador that should be able to touch the heretic? No, I don't Which... think there is. I don't think that any of the the warcasters in Kador should be able to even come close to fighting the heretic. Well, yeah. Old, old witch. <laughs> old old yeah. witch aside. But but she 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 didn't fight him directly. She literally well actually she summoned him. Um, yeah. Uh, and she and just that's... scared. She just scared uh, uh, Holden bad enough that he tried to shoot him. Um, right. And yeah, and and that's the thing is that warcasters uh, in the fluff are way way stronger. It's kind of like uh, yeah. um, the original planeswalkers in Magic, where they're like, yes, they are represented by cards sometimes, but. This is not what they are. Oh yeah, like, or like yeah, casually like, tear space time. Yeah, wormwood is like possibly just the devourer worm in right? Like <laughs> nobody should be able to fight him. And then on the flip side of that, you've got like I don't know, Allison Jakes, who's not that great in the game, but is certainly closer to these things in the game than she would be in the fluff. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and like. Battle groups in the fluff are much larger. Like we're talking like dozens of jacks. Yeah. Yeah. They you talk about the the battlescapes in some of the books, and they're oh, just yeah. like, oh yeah, no, there's like casually four colossals stomping over the city wall, and I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, no, like you look at you look at the detachment loadouts in some of the old um, anthology books, and it's like this battle had five thousand Iron Fang pikemen, thirty thousand. <laughs> Uh, Winter Guard Infantry, 2,000 Man War Shock Troopers, 500 Juggernaut Chassis, and six Conquests. And it's like, what? And <laughs> Kator's all like, battle. oh, we don't have that many Jacks. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like this has, like, I don't think there's been a battle of that scale on planet Earth. Oh, what? <laughs> are, are you joking? <laughs> That's uh, actually small for a World War One fight. 
for okay, fair enough. Which, but like, and, like and modern, it's supposed to be modern, like oh yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> After World War II, we stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and but the thing is, like, we don't have the technology to make war jacks. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. Japan begs to differ. They're building an actual Gundam. <laughs> That's actually true. Cool. <laughs> like it's a legit Gundam. You can look it up. Um. What other news do we have? The Legion CID is over. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um. Which means that we can devote all of our playtesting time to Brawl Machine again, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Um, if we're still oh. in news, sorry. Go ahead. If we're, no, go if ahead. we're still if we're still in news, um, next week I'll be doing a charity stream uh, with Trash Gordon and the uh, Knights Machine, um, and it's going to be from 3 a.m. Central Time to 3 a.m. Central Time. The 24-hour charity stream. Cool. I'm not, I'm not going to be on brave, all of it. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be, my job is to run it while the Brits are asleep. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, um, we also oh. have the Kickstarter for Riot Quest is over. Yep. Which is going to be fun in a few months. Uh, Warcaster stuff should all be finished shipping out in the next, like, few days. Yeah, so, that's what I was going to say, is the stuff uh, that got delayed, uh, particularly the alt sculpt scourge, I think it was, or maybe it was just the secondary scourge that got mislabeled as Wave 2. Uh, they figured it out. I think Matt Wilson was the one who updated on the Kickstarter page, but all yeah. that stuff, I think, has gone out as of today, if I'm correct. Could be. Yeah, and uh, it's important to say that it's shipped out of Private Press, not that it should have arrived yet. Yes, correct. It, oh, it's yeah, shipped no. out. <laughs> um, and also, also, uh, they, we got to see the first render for the 80 millimeter base jet bike thing that ISA gets to play with. Which, oh my god, it looks gosh. so good! It looks so, so good. Happy. I'm so I, happy. I hope the scythe looks even cooler though, because oh, I, I don't want all three of us to be playing ISA. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> is Saber playing ISA? Yes, yeah, she is. Yep. <laughs> That makes it four. <laughs> yep, all four of us are playing ISA potentially because ISA sounds the most fun to play, even if Eternus looks the coolest. Um, oh, disagree. Hard disagree, but that's okay. I like you anyway. Empyrean will steal at least one of us, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, they they look a lot like Protoss to me, which are it's near and dear to my heart. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, much thinking too. <laughs> they look pretty neat. All right, I think. We got through the news, and it only took us like 30 minutes, so well done, everybody. Did uh, it. We did it. What are we talking about today? Uh, Brett? Well, okay, so um, I can talk about the airbrushing stuff that I've been doing. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, okay. So I got an airbrush. <laughs> um, so I, I'd, I've been putting it off for a long time because um, it, I was worried about, like, uh, intro costs and difficulty of use, um, and so uh, one of my one of my friends um, pointed out that well, you should just get this one, the Badger Patriot something. Yes, I was going <laughs> to ask if that's the one you got. <laughs> and it is so easy to use. It was like, yep. I think it's like it's like is it less than a hundred for the airbrush itself? It's it's not expensive. The um, most I've seen it go for, I believe, is one fifty, but it's it's gone up and down based on uh demand over the last several years several times so i don't know what it is right now but it is right around the 100 dollars mark and like the the trick i learned is um ask your friends about uh 
like ask your friends for help with airbrushing. And if you find one who has, uh, who's been doing it for a while, they're going to have an old uh, compressor for you to use and just, (laughs) just take that. (laughs) Um, because everyone goes through the arc of buying a compressor without a tank and going, this is so fucking frustrating. And then buying one with a tank. (laughs) You can go through that arc without, without having to buy the first stuff. Yep. (laughs) Um, this is ooh, it's very deja vu in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, and so yeah, and so I, I I definitely would try and find someone local to walk you through the first couple times. Um, because there's a lot of the consistency you want in the in the like in the paint mixing pot thing. Um, mm-hmm. that's that's something that you need to be taught by feel. Um, and also like basic advice on how to use it is kind of a um what's it called uh it's it's a it's an implicit memory it's not something that you can really describe um so that's something you're gonna want but other than that it's like super easy um as long as you know what you need to do to maintain it and know how to clean it that's probably the most important part um and it has so i've been pretty much just using it for um highlighting and glows um which, to be fair, is like ninety percent of the painting I do. <laughs> so, so the first pillars of paint was talking about my Grimkin um, color scheme, and where I was trying to do black and white with glows, and I was doing that with all with brush um, mm-hmm. and glazing, uh, like like Jaden does. Um, and then I got an airbrush, and it's a lot easier. It's a lot faster. Um, Changed your life. Yeah, and it, it's it's another one of those painting tricks, right? Where it's the Knowing about it makes you better because it's just so much easier to use. And it's like the the really good painters aren't that they, they aren't there isn't like some like there's a massive skill gap, but that skill back gap comes from knowledge, from knowing things and then practicing them. And so one hundred percent. Yeah, it's like these are these are things that you can pick up. Mm-hmm. That's that's my thing is uh and it doesn't just stop at painting, like even just like fine arts, like illustration. I'm an illustrator. That's what I went to school for. And people are like, oh, my gosh, you're so good at this. And I'm like, I'm not any better than you could be. And they're like, no, I can't. No way. I, I can't do that. And I'm like, OK, can you sign your name twice? And they both remotely look the same. And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, OK, well, then you have the fine motor control. You can control the line. Now you just have to learn how to apply the line. And that's that's not innate that's that's a skill you learn it yeah, you practice it it's exactly the same as war machine right i mean exactly <laughs> right like war machine's a fucking hard game but you know you put music dollars yeah no oh music mm-hmm. for example you're right yeah it's the one i brought up a whole lot of times whenever brett's like how are you doing this like i don't know man well, it's easier than music but i ask it's literally how are you doing this? <laughs> like, I do not know the basic skills that you assume I have. <laughs> so, oh, Jaden, her, about... whoa, you're amazing. <laughs> Brett's going, teach me senpai. He's <laughs> <laughs> Brett's going, I literally don't know, the, I don't understand the words you're using right now. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me a second. <laughs> sorry that tickled me that's my favorite part about this podcast is because (laughs) the background is so non-artistic that it's like no no i don't understand what colors go together (laughs) so you're wanting you mentioned 
earlier that you wanted to try and figure out a color scheme for your marcher worlds, correct? I say. I say, sorry. We just talked about this. None of us. We're all the same packs. I thought that Jaden was Eternus, you were Marcher Worlds, and Chandler was ISA. Uh-huh, no. Uh-huh. That would make too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and, my bad. And then. actually, it would probably be more like I play Marchers, Brett plays uh, Eternus, and Chandler plays ISA if we were going to go off of like classic line of sight personalities here. Yeah. No, I was well, going off of a, a past line of sight I thought I was remembering, but I'm clearly mom braining instead. So that's no, fine. No, no, I, we intentionally lied to you. <laughs> um, sweet. Sweet. So, yes, yeah, we, we talked it up like we were all going to be three different factions, and then Chandler and I bought the same one. <laughs> and then I didn't buy any. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. This comes from a classic problem where I played a shooty army in GW games, and I never want to go back to that life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, all right, trauma over. Um, then <laughs> it's, it was a little underbaked with rules, and so we weren't really sure about them. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Although, I wish they turned squads were better than they are. Yeah, they're coming out the same as uh, they were in playtest, so I guess they weren't underbaked. I guess that's just how they are. I was going to say, was the only major change that all jacks are two inch melee? I didn't see any other major changes. Um, Firebrand. Um, it no longer gets plus three range from its arc. It only gets Thank a max heavens. of one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. So instead of having it being four on most of its weapons and everyone else being one in melee, it's now three and everyone else is two. Okay. Which is way more like <laughs> reasonable. Reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have like shields just reaching out and going from objective to objective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the scourge lost a rat. That was a huge one. Which um, I still don't think needed to happen, but okay. I don't know. It does have the. Be- I mean, it has the best gun in the game, so sure. Although it's not out yet, which is hilarious. Um, because it's in pack B. Um, oh, is it that- really? Good grief. Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, no, the holophage. Holophage is in pack A, but um, the 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 insane activation token one is in pack B. Um, and there was a lot of. I think other than that, it was mostly clarification. Okay. Oh. Uh, Annihilators, their spike works on the whole squad, which is uh, really uh, stupid. When... <laughs> Wait, that wasn't always how that worked? I thought we always nope. played it like that. <laughs> nope. Well, I never I spiked the Annihilators <laughs> because it was so bad. So the, oh, okay. the, it, it was actually the same text as was on the Maelstrom cannon uh, for the Warjack, and which said model. Um, and so now they have a different rule that says unit. That's okay. glorious. All right. I like to see Annihilator Except for before. there's no... Oh, yeah, units are everything. Okay, fair enough. I'd say squad. I don't know. It's it, Everyone gets it, essentially. <laughs> it, it used to be really weird. Um, but, yeah. So that's that's rule stuff. Um, okay, yeah. so, yeah. Trying to figure so, out... We're figuring out Brett's color scheme for his... Yeah. Well, okay, lines. so let's, let's start... How... How different can I make my models look and still have them look cohesive? So... One thing that really sparked my interest with um, Neo-Mechanica is the idea that you have a thousand planets worth of resources and you're pulling from all of them. So, like, I was thinking about doing, like, slightly different basing for each squad or, like, you know, a slightly different color scheme for each squad. Like, how do I, how do I pull them together? How do, I, how do I make it cohesive? Especially for basing. I don't understand basing at all. Well, there are a couple of different things. One thing is a 
consistent color scheme or color pairing throughout them. It may not need to be the exact same colors specifically, but you would use similar chroma. So like you might use blue and red across your entire army, but they're not the same blue on every unit and it's not the same red on every unit, but you have the pairing of blue and red would make your army look cohesive from a distance because the eye would tend to blend all of the blues to be more similar when they're next to each other than if you were holding up one model and one model. You'd mm -hmm. look at the two models specifically next to each other and you're like, wow, these are nothing alike. But then if you put the whole force down, your eyes will, from a distance, blend them into, that's a very blue and red army. I get it. Okay. So, uh, so like if I, and if I use like the blue in different places, that's not as important as which type of blue I use. Uh, honestly, that is a different thing you can do, or you could do them in conjunction. Um, mm -hmm. That was another thing I was going to say is like, if you have some key element that's fairly similar, if not exactly the same across the board, like uh, the, what are they, the dusters on almost all of the Eternus stuff, mm -hmm. you know, they've got the the jackets or whatever. You could do the same jacket and then do everything else on the model completely different as long as you had that key element and the key element is noticeable enough that somebody's not going to gloss over it. Like if you just did a black jacket on everybody, it would disappear into the model but if you okay. did something right. significant to bring it out yes and okay. people could see that identifying factor across the whole table it will make it more cohesive okay yeah like i was talking to my friend who was doing marchers and i was like like yeah giving them all the exact same clo cloak would be would make perfect sense because like you're pulling from all these different worlds and this mm -hmm. is all this is all we can do for a uniform <laughs> yep that's that's yeah. literally it um, uh, i'm i'm gonna throw a thing in here don't do different basing. It's going to screw everything up. Okay. And there's, there's two reasons for this. Number one, basing is really hard to get right in the first place. And number two, um, your models are all fighting on the same battlefield, Brett. <laughs> there could be variation, maybe. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I mean, sure. But it has to be similar enough that it's like yeah. a thing, right? Especially because like, I, I get the feeling that a lot of... Uh, tournament trays for Warcaster are going to be very similar to the Infinity ones where they're sort of like cut into a scene that already exists and so you want them to be like mm -hmm. sort of cohesive. Mm -hmm. One way you can do the different resource uh, pools for your different squads and units and things like that could be you, the different weapons they have are made of different metals. So unit A has this color metal whereas this other unit came from a different planet therefore they have different metal um and that could be a subtle change and then somebody's like oh your guns are different colors why and then you're like oh i got lore for this <laughs> let me explain <laughs> you, you have activated my trap card <laughs> exactly. two hours <laughs> yep here exactly. is my 300 page novella about the backstory of my forces made a mistake wait is this looked down on <laughs> Am I socially unacceptable? Pathetic self-revelation. Uh, <laughs> I just never bother because I never get that attached to my models, but I'm I, sure it's I, fun. I like having yep. I like having like a sentence or two about like Oh wait, I lied. I completely voices. wrote like a page and a half about my Flame of the Darkness stuff. I did that. You totally did. You did. Yeah. You're just as weird as the rest of us. That's that's fair. <laughs> I, I'm now starting to think. <laughs> So I showed Jaden a picture of all my flames together. Is that is that too cohesive? 
to pull together because there's four distinct bright color schemes. Mm, I mean, the basing's consistent, so it seems to work okay. That can also be a form of cohesion where you have, like, let's say you did one chunk in bright pink, one chunk in bright blue, one chunk in bright green. That in and of itself is a cohesive thing because it's three parts to a whole, and it's yeah, noticeable. Yeah, and they all say, "Oh my heavens, my eyes hurt now." <laughs> sure. Hey, shut up, Dave. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> but my point is, though, is that if it's really noticeable that they're parts to a whole, that does the job. That's what you're trying to do: is show that they are parts of a whole. Okay, Brett, so here's your challenge. You have to make it so that if you arrange your models in a specific order and in a very specific pattern, they say screw marchers on them. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for the Warcaster font to come out so I can do stuff like that. It's like dot art. You just need to put a one color dot on the top of every single model, and when you look at them from on top, it's some weird image that you've done with pixel art. <laughs> Perfect. I'm for it. <laughs> that's how, that's how the warcaster identifies formations from orbit. Exactly. That's it. Dude, I actually kind of love that. That should be in the game. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that's that's one of the cool things about the game is yeah, thinking about the warcaster. I think that's a really cool fluff aspect. Well, you okay. are the warcaster. Right, exactly. Yeah, and just the idea that they don't participate in the battle directly. Yep. Um Okay. So I got I have I have I have like half the bases I need for one of the schemes I want to do, so I got to change that. Um, okay, and then I was thinking about glows, and I mm -hmm. encountered a problem, um, and that is the thing I wanted to make glowing is on the warjack's shield and sword, and I want to magnetize those. <laughs> yep, I think you're gonna have to pick up a new trick for this, Brett. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, um, okay. Well, and so that's that's kind of something I want to talk about is like, what kind of thing could I like? What kind of thing could I do? Like, is there like, like I've I've done like sketch style, I've done like glows, and it's like, can I do? I don't I don't know what kind of technique I could apply here. When you say glows, you mean like object source lighting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because th there's actually a lot of places on ISA models where you can do like the line glows, and then you just pretend it's bright light and it doesn't glow, uh, doesn't OSL on anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can always do that. They're like face helmet things glow, like they do in Halo, kind of. Mm -hmm. Right. And I should definitely do that for the Warjacks because the cortexes are impossible to tell apart. So I'm just gonna say, red one is reflex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what you do, here we go, this is what you do. You don't magnetize anything, and you just glue two shields on every firebrand. <laughs> I didn't buy that many shields. <laughs> uh, Done. I should have, <laughs> Yeah, I don't My know. My best Kador impression. Glow that intensely. Hmm? So, like, hmm. the studio scheme is actually a pretty good guide for this, I think. For, mm -hmm. for specifically the firebrand, like the shield, because like it's self-containing the glow. The glow is on the outside, and it's just glowing on the shield itself. Mm -hmm. Also, this is something I wanted to bring up. Um, when you have a color scheme and you're trying to determine between cool colors and warm colors, uh, for those that have no idea about color theory, cool colors tend to be blue, green, and some purples, mostly violets uh, and indigo, kind of like that. And warm colors are 
red, yellow, and orange. Um, warm colors to the human eye appear to uh, approach you. They appear closer to you than cool colors do. It has something to do with the, the wavelength of the uh, light itself. Um, but red light tends to travel farther than blue light does. So when you're looking at an object that is warm, uh, it will appear closer to you just a little bit than the same object at the same distance in a cool color, which is why in rooms that are very small, you'll see slate or uh, white or sometimes like light, light green paints on the walls is to make it seem like the walls are receding. Whereas in very, very large rooms, you'll see like light yellow, sometimes very, very light red or pink walls. It makes it feel like the room is cozier, warmer and smaller. Um, it's one of those things that you, you kind of know, uh, but you don't really know how to explain. The thing is though, so when you paint warm color accents on a model, those jump out at people far more than cool color accents will. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're trying to make, for example, very, very small cohesive patterns across your army, it is better to do those in warm colors. Whereas if you're doing like huge big plates or something, instead of overwhelming your visuals with warm colors, you might go with a cool color aspect on the same mark across your army as well so and that's that's one thing that i didn't understand about the studio scheme is that there is a ton of like bright orange and yellow and mm -hmm. i don't understand how that's not just super busy well it's because this the isa models are not busy models right really? yeah not really they're super streamlined compared to a lot of things that private press makes Huh. So there's a lot going on as far as like texture, but it's all very geometric and it's repetitive. When you say something's busy, you tend to assume that there's a lot of different things going on on a given model. But if you have very many repetitions of the same thing, for example, the armor plates on the ISA, mm -hmm. that's not generally considered busy, even though there's many lines and many textures they're all very similar to one another. It's not generally visually confusing. Okay. As opposed to the Marcher Worlds where they have all the different sized pouches and buckles and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And the Eternus have the different goggle sizes and the face plates and lots of different stuff. They're far more busy than the ISA are, even though there's a ton of geometric lines. They're all the same geometric lines, typically flowing in the same direction. Okay. So, yeah. so I can actually afford to pick out all those details and not worry yeah. about it. Yeah, I would, I would say yes. I would, in fact, I would encourage you to push it because it will make the model look more detailed than it even is. Yes, this is this is kind. Of, so ISA is the faction in uh, Warcaster that maybe has the infinity problem. I don't. I I don't know the infinity problem. Okay, the infinity. The is infinity the problem. Studio is, painter. Yeah, <laughs> the, the infinity problem is infinity models look ridiculously cool on their box art and then you get them in the box and it's like oh my gosh how gotcha because they're they're not as detailed or they're over detailed or something is such about them that it's like how did that look like that and the answer is that angel Heraldas is a freaking genius with a brush 
Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with the model itself. Yeah, and I, I think that actually ISA's biggest problem is that um, the sculpts are beautiful when you're holding them right up to your face. Like, mm -hmm. there, there's a ton of awesome stuff that I did not see on the render. Yeah, I mean... I yeah. think a lot of that you can highlight and accent with your paint scheme, too. It's one of those things where if you don't want to bother with it, you can paint it and the model will look clean and plain and... Uh, organized, for lack of a better term, on the table. But if you really want to blow up, and that may be why they went with all of the orange and the yellow and the bright yeah. things, so they could pop out all of these fairly simplistic designs, but make it look like there's more on the model than there actually even is. Like the shield for the Firebrand looks incredibly detailed on, uh, I think it was Jordan. Is Jordan the one that painted it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and everyone comments on the hexes. Mm -hmm. Right, and if but... you look at the model, it's actually not that impressive a a print as far as or a, a cast as far as like it's it's just a hex pattern. That's it's mm -hmm. not super complicated. But yeah, but if you look of... at it, he's highlighted every edge on yes. on the hexes in one direction. He's shaded on every crevice in a certain direction. He's accented the shapes to such a degree that you can't help but notice them. Okay, exactly. So, so in this case. My the colors I pick are not as important as the technique I use is, is the takeaway I'm getting. Uh, well, probably. I mean, the colors are always important, but sure. in this case, the application is going to be more important than normal because okay. you have otherwise fairly simple sculpts that you want to draw attention to in specific spots, and the way you do that is going to vary. Right. I would say the specific color is not as important as your technique, but I do think that your cool versus warm palette is going to be important and where you place those. Okay. Because yeah. that, that will determine what somebody sees first, second, mm -hmm. and third on your model. Okay. So, okay. So one thing I was thinking about doing was having the armor be mostly dark and then pick out all these cool details we're talking about. And then mm -hmm. I wanted to do a contrasting, like, cool color in the form of, like, um, like stippling. Like, it's supposed to be, like, a glowing blood or, like, graffiti. I got a paint pen. And I want to try and mess with that. Mm -hmm. um, and just, just as, like, a, a contrast point in where there's not a ton of texture going on. Yeah, that's, that's actually very similar to what I'm planning on doing. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so then I need technique advice because I have a lot of trouble with highlighting and shading in that like i like i i like i i understand the concept of edge highlighting and i try and do it but i don't have a really good way to accomplish it i feel like okay. i struggle with it a lot so brett here's step one type okay. www.amazon.com into your web you're gonna make me buy a new brush aren't you and type <laughs> in, we're gonna do it in series seven and <laughs> buy a size two and a size zero because they don't have any size one in stock how much is how that? long have you had yours my brushes? No, no, no. Uh, oh. Jaden, how long have you had your Series 7 brushes? I've, I mean, I've been painting with them for about five years, and I've gone through, like, ten. <laughs> I don't know how 12. you do it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm what a brush mean? destroyer. Mine bloom like flowers after not very long. <laughs> well, uh, do you wash them? Yes. With yes. brush soap? No. Well... That would be a good start. What's brush yeah. soap? Brush See, soap exactly. is soap for brushes. What it does is... Okay. Uh, let's talk about brush anatomy for a second. Here. Yay! So, <laughs> I hate you, Brett. Brush, 
there's the handle, which is wood, and this is typically not that important. And then there's this metal thing right here, and that's called the ferrule. And okay. the ferrule is glued to the handle, and it's glued to the bristles. The bristles are bound very tightly uh, inside of the ferrule, and they're glued in there into a position that's going to give you a very sharp point. Correction, they should be. They should be. Okay, a good <laughs> brush will, and they will stay that way for a long time. Like, I'm looking right here at a Winsor Newton Series 7 size 1 that I've painted with for probably 600 hours. Uh, that's an exaggeration. 400 hours. Um, and while it doesn't have a great point, I, it has a point still, and I've used it to paint most of a fairly detailed miniature that I'm putting into a contest in two days. So... There's... Another point is is that the point should, if it's not there while dry, it should be there while wet. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if the point's not there when it's dry. It should be there while it's right. wet. Now, the problem is, and the reason that brushes go bad when they're well-constructed quickly, is because if paint molecules get into the ferrule, they're going to mm -hmm. dry there. And paint is basically plastic. At least acrylic yep. paint is basically plastic. Mm -hmm. And when it dries... What it's going to do is it's going to make it so those bristles can no longer converge into that point because they're going to be permanently splayed out in different directions from each other. Thus brush... my terminology of blooming like a flower. <laughs> yeah, they do that a bit. Brush soap, uh, if you use it on a somewhat regular basis, gets in there and it, just like regular soap destroys the, the lipid bilayer on germs and bacteria and stuff, they go in there and they get between the, the molecules of paint and the bristle and they sort of separate them. Or if it's still wet paint, it will get rid of it completely because it will bind with it and get it out of there when you rinse it. Um, it's super cheap. It's like $3 for enough to last you for your entire life. And if you're going to get good brushes, you should get brush cleaner and use it. Okay. Uh, is this brush cleaner and restorer? Uh, maybe. Let me uh. find my cake of it. Um, they come in these like... Of it? So yeah, so what? it's okay. Uh, that is so what the, you call a bar of soap. Is a cake. <laughs> it's a cake. Uh, so man, where is mine? Uh, it's around. Basically, the stuff I use comes in this like octagonal. Uh, something called octagonal? the general. general yeah, octagonal. Company. Um, like little <laughs> thing. Here it is. So it's called the Master's Brush Cleaner. Uh, yep. It's it's awesome stuff. I have a... Oh, that's it. The Master's Brush Cleaner. Okay. Yep. The Master's Brush <laughs> I was cleaner. waiting for like an epitaph or something. Nope. Uh, and I have yeah. like maybe a six ounce cake of it. And then I have a three pound cake of it in my garage. I'm sorry. A three pound. All right. <laughs> it was on sale at a going out of business hobby store for like $4. This is so why Jaden's hair looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, and this is... So basically you use this at the end of every session? I use it once a week. Oh, okay. So not even that much. Yeah, because wait, wait. once you use it, you have so to that, change it. Like, okay, so that's like once every six sessions. You uh, yeah, yeah. For me, that's about once every six sessions. You can use it after every session, and it will do yeah. your brush no harm at all. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. So if you want to make that part of your routine, do it. And um, that, I usually change out my paint water, so that wouldn't be a huge yeah, problem. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. So, Brett, the reason that you need a good brush for doing things like edge lighting and uh, dark lining is because they stay together, the bristles stay together super well compared to other brushes, which lets you do things like glide the edge of the brush along a surface without it splintering and catching other surfaces. Mm -hmm. You can't 
use five dollar well and also here's the other thing about good brushes good brushes are made out of actual hair yes mm -hmm. garbage brushes are made out of plastic yep plastic doesn't cling together the same way that hair does when it's wet they don't behave the same way so the use of a really good brush is just absolutely phenomenal comparatively and most people will go through like one of these brushes every three to four months um maybe up to six depending on how often you paint i go through them in about two but i paint way more than the average person does mm -hmm. um and uh like for comparison in the same time frame i would use like five five dollar brushes just because i get so frustrated with the tip mm -hmm. going out. so it saves me money in the long run <laughs> Yep. Um, the okay. curling is one of the most yeah, the frustrating things. Like, oh, I want to. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so Jane asked me which paintbrushes I bought, and I went, I've never bought a paintbrush. What are you talking about? There you go. I just about died. <laughs> it hurt me so badly inside. I go get whatever Windsor Newton crap brushes are at Hobby Lobby and make do. <laughs> That's what I do. I would yeah, <laughs> So in the morality of business I support, Amazon is slightly above Hobby Lobby, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going there. <laughs> anyway, so I would go get yourself a good brush. That's step number one. Okay. Step number two is you're going to want to do some things with that brush. And here's some line exercises for you to do. Get a piece of paper and thin out your paint and start writing your name as thinly and evenly as you can. Mm -hmm. repeatedly channel your inner calligrapher so wait yep. you're, you're trying to make my paint pen purchase worthless aren't you yes actually that, that, that's <laughs> um, you should be able to do 30 millimeter eyes with a size 2 brush without too much work if it's a good brush okay and so you practice it okay is this the question is this time where we can talk about why i would use each brush or are we not even there yet uh okay it's actually really simple you want to use a size 2 brush for almost literally everything and I'm not yeah. kidding. Um, I use a size one most of the time right now, but that's just because they're a little bit cheaper and I go through them really quickly. But size two, so there's a couple of huge advantages to having a size two brush. Number one, the thing holds more paint, mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. that you have to go get paint less. But it also means that when you get the consistency of the paint right, you can hold more of the paint at the correct consistency and it will go for a long time. Uh, the other thing is because they're bigger, their bristles are longer and more elastic, which gives them what is called a good snap, which is like basically just a control of how bendy they go before they flip back to straight. Um, and this lets you be way more precise if you've practiced with your lines. Um, mm -hmm. And then number three is because they're bigger and they have more bristles, their tip is a little bit more durable than smaller brushes. And so it will stay sharp for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so size zero, you just use in case of emergency? No, so I don't use size zero at all, but they don't have size ones at all for in stock. So size zeros are what you're going to use. Size zeros I use for the following things. I use them for very, very, very small edge highlights and specifically edge highlights. I don't use them for like drawing lines because they tend to run out of paint too quickly and it dries at the tip. Yeah. And it clogs up and it makes me mad. So edge lights, because you can use the, the, the side of the brush and it's a lot thinner, the surface contact point of the circle goes from i don't know like a quarter of a millimeter circle yeah the, the brush is a circle if what? you look at it straight on right oh okay oh oh so when you're i thought you said you were using the side of the brush i am using the side of the brush ah! okay so brett hold on a second <laughs> um two perpendicular lines okay the brush is one of those perpendicular lines 
the hairs of the brush are, are one of those perpendicular lines, rather to say. It yes. travels along the edge of the other line, staying perpendicularly. That's how you edge highlight. Wait, but you use the tip of the brush? Nope, you don't use the tip at mm -mm. all for that. Wait, okay. So, all right, so I have Think a brush Think of it like hand. slicing with a knife. And, okay, so the way I've been edge highlighting is I, use, I put paint on the brush, I use the side of the brush, and I use the, and I, like, trace that side over, like, the piece. Like, over the line I'm trying to highlight. That's Sudden. correct. Okay. Yes. But the reason a smaller brush does that more cleanly is because if you think about the circumference of the bristles, right, in that circular pattern that they're arranged in. The diameter. No, the circumference is the area around it. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so so, so it, my, when I mess up edge highlighting, it's because I hit a different surface. Mm -hmm. that's that's what i was going to say is the is the diameter of the number two can make that difficult because you'll be bumping the other edge of a given corner okay sure that can be that can also be true uh the point i was trying to make was that if you the reason you use the size zero slash one for a lot of the the more finer detail edge lights is because the circumference of the thing is smaller which means that your contact portion of that side is also smaller Oh, so it, it's closer to the edge. Correct. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you want to do, like, very light pressure, I assume? Oh, basically nothing. If you've got enough paint in there, mm -hmm. uh, you shouldn't need to. This is another interesting point about owning a good brush and using a good brush. You should almost never have your bristles pointing up. What do you mean up? Like, in the air, such that gravity's forcing paint and water into the ferrule. Oh, okay. Oh. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> got it, You got should it, got always it. endeavor to be pointing the point of the brush downwards so that mm -hmm. you are never like moving it into a thing. And this might mean that in order to edge light the surface you want, you have to turn your model upside oh, down. Upside down, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> that's why I have the, these holders that I, I've made out of um, spray paint lids because I can just flip the model upside down and hold the holder. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really, really useful for that. I would actually elaborate on that and say that when you dip your brush into paint, it should never go more than halfway up the bristles yeah, that's either. Yeah, Okay. Unless it's because... a crappy brush and you don't care about it. Fair. Well, yeah, like I do that for dry brushing, but that's intentionally to destroy a brush. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is step one to your question of how do I edge light and shade better? Um, go get a better brush, and that's a whole bunch of reasons why. The other thing that I'll use the smaller brush for is for um, dark lining, like between surfaces, because sometimes that smaller like physically smaller thing fits in that crack better um, or along that edge better. And also because you have to use, um, you don't have to control it quite as much. If you're doing like a side that just all needs to be dark, you can just sort of like run it along a lot easier. Right. Um, so. Okay. Okay. Also, I think I'm, also, I want to, I want to jump to the end of the painting, but let's continue this. <laughs> Fair enough. The <laughs> last point I'm going to make about, uh, the smaller brush is that sometimes you make dot highlights at the like so say you've gone from like red to orange to yellow like and successively built up a line that's going from red to orange to yellow so it looks like it's glowing from the middle mm -hmm. at the very top where the power source would be you put a dot highlight of yellow white or just pure white and the mm -hmm. thinner brush lets you place that a lot more cleanly yeah like i've done gemstones before but i end up with a big blob yeah even, so the, even when i'm very precise yeah so so, so that and you're going to find that even the size two of a good brush 
is better than anything you've used by a sure. Uh, but I haven't needed that power. <laughs> Honestly, for dot highlights, I tend to use a uh, toothpick. Personally. Oh, because because that that bristle yeah. can't break. <laughs> I mean. The size, the size one and size zero tips are much finer than most toothpicks I've found. So that's fair, but most of the dot highlights that I'm doing aren't that precise, I guess. And I don't know, it's kind of like palette knife painting, but with a toothpick. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. All right, Brett, what's your next question? Um, okay, so. I know I know the answer to this question. Um, should I get a wet palette for mixing? Yep. Yep. <sighs> All right. Um, you want the Red Grass Games one because it's the best one. Oh, I can just buy one. Yes. I thought I, I, thought I had to make one. No, you make oh, one no. if you're cheap like me. I am cheap, but I'm I'm trying to get myself to spend more money on things that make me happy. Well, As someone go. who is also cheap, it's worth the purchase. So I hey, what use was it called a. Again? Ma- Red Grass Games. It's really, really excellent. I have the Painter palette. I love it. Um, and you're going to want to... Yeah. Uh, and you're going to want to use either filtered or distilled water in that because it will extend mm-hmm. the life without getting it moldy for a very, very long time. I don't know. I like the story of when you were trying to uh, kill the moldier wet palette. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's why I ended up switching to this one because... Okay. So should I also clean my brush with distilled water so I don't infect it that way? Nah, nah. It's small enough that I don't think it matters. Okay. Uh, At least I don't. I use tap water in my paint cup. Yeah. Yep. But I do uh, use my Brita filtered water um, in my wet palette. Uh, I'll just buy distilled water. Sure. It's like a dollar. I'll be okay. (laughs) Actually, Jaden, what is your opinion on brush licking? I haven't been lately because I haven't been using... Uh, food safe paints um i think fair i okay so i when i'm using p3 paints to tutor brush blend i am a brush licker because uh saliva has a better surface um tension break point than water does for blending right Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's a problem as long as you're using food safe paint am i toothbrush blending is that what you're talking me into no, I'm not ready. I can teach you how to do that too. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> um, you can also well, okay. fresh blend without it, but I, I like it to. Well, okay, it's Let's, just faster. We'll, we'll come back to fresh blending when I start asking you specific detail questions and you start giving me my techniques. All right, that's fair. Um, okay. Anyway, so yeah, wet palettes are absolutely useful. I what I like to do is I like to like if I'm going from like here's my midtone to here's my highlight. What I like to do is I like to put a slightly extra little bit of that, and then I like to push them towards each other, and then mix them yep. up in the middle, and then mix that out, and then I can just grab from any point in that series. In the whole and spectrum. Like, yep. Instantaneous yeah, gradient. Yep. Yeah. And and so then, and you also you I'm assuming you mix them down to glaze thickness, and so now you have a glaze in all those colors. Yeah, I, I can do that. What I, I typically just grab some of whatever color I want to glaze with and move it to a different part of the wet palette, and then make it into a glaze somewhere. Oh, okay. But yeah. That's. I guess yeah. I have to get more serious about glazing then, because I don't. Glazing I don't, is wonderful. Well, I don't bring it all the way down to glaze consistency. I I stop when it will cover in like two or three coats. Oh that's well, me. I mean, but I'm impatient. So here's the thing: glazing is only like 
it unlocks certain things, but you really don't need it if you don't want to. Wait. Oh, I thought you used it. I thought you said you should glaze everything. I mean, if you want to do it perfectly, yes, you should glaze everything. If you just want to get it done, you don't have to. Like, you can get approachable looks using other techniques, but glazing, I think, like, if you can glaze and blend glaze as well, you can do basically anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I, I only like, have 10 models to paint, so maybe this is the time. There you go. And that's true. <laughs> Glazing's one of those things you won't notice on the table, but if somebody's inspecting your models, it makes a difference. Okay. Yeah. It also, like... Glazing is a thing that I don't think gets taught enough to new painters because two-brush blending without glazing is not a perfect gradient um, 99% of the time. So, and most things aren't perfect gradients without glazing involved at some pro step in the process. Because glazing allows you to use light properties, not just paint properties? Partially that, and also because um, the gradient you're going to get is imperfect, but by covering that over with a semi-opaque layer of something else that's close, you make it so that your eye can't see those uh, div divisions as well. Yeah, right. Well, you and, basically camouflage it. And yeah, and and you can correct it as needed, right? You do an extra layer of glaze where it needs to be a little bit darker. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it it is infinitely more controllable than everything else it's more controllable than two brush blending it's more controllable than wet blending it's more controllable than layering in a lot of ways um because it's it's just layering but more subtle mm -hmm. so yep glazing's awesome more questions um so okay i think it's time to just like walk through an isa model and just talk about like what I want to do with each part of it. Sure. All right. So, okay. So the strategy I like is you start like inside out. So like, what do I do about base color? Like, so do I, like, if I want to do something dark, do I start let's, with black? I don't, let's talk, a let's talk about a specific model. Which one do you have in mind? Um, let's talk about one of the Paladin enforcers. Um, or actually, the Paladin Weaver, like that has the most. Well, that one's a little different than everyone else. So yeah, let's do the okay. Enforcer. I am looking up a picture of one of these suckers. Is this the one that comes in the base box? Yeah, the Enforcers are in the base box. Okay. So <laughs> looking at the studio scheme is actually a pretty good place to start. They have a bunch of neutral colors, and then they have like accents that are lighter neutral colors, and then they have accents that are actual colors. Yes. Um, I would never recommend starting with black ever i don't yeah. know Do, and does that include xenothal oh well xenothal is different like okay. uh, are we talking about priming or are we talking about painting here i don't know <laughs> i thought that's what i'm i thought when all you right. start that's priming all right so when you prime it all right i would xenothal prime this uh because i xenothal prime everything sure um if you're using an airbrush to prime i would actually prime the glowing parts in straight white mm -hmm. and then overblow around them a little bit so that you get some of the glow built in. Okay, so let me talk about how I do my current glow. Um, so with my current... Okay, so my current glow is a little different because I want it to be pitch black in some places because I'm trying to do in the darkness. But I go back and anything that's actually glowing, I, I do light gray and then white. And then anything that the OSL is hitting, I do just a little bit of light gray depending on how close it is. That works. So, Sounds legit. Okay, so so I should just I should do that except 
one of my glow sources needs to be the sun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But the sun, like, it, it depends. Like, if you want your glows to really stand out, you can't give the sun its full respect because anything outside doesn't glow as much. So oh, maybe no. in, in your head headcanon, it's like a cloudy day. <laughs> well, I mean, I have corridor bases for some of them. <laughs> but, um, okay, so, and that's, that's the question is how much, okay, I keep using the word glow. How much OSL should I do? Should I do, like, just, like, just barely on the weapon? Like, there's a tiny bit of yellow in some of the neutrals? Or, well, I'm not going to I think that's personal preference, honestly. Yeah. Like, mm. the backpack things, probably more than everything else. Okay. Um, like, the power points in the armor on the shoulders and then on the, the, the calves and the thighs, probably. You can do a little bit. But this is going to be less glowy than the things you've been painting. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because, also... because those are specifically supposed to be in darkness. Yes. Right. It also depends on what do you want someone to look at on this model primarily, secondarily, and tertiarily. Like, mm -hmm. do you want them to look at the gun first if that's what you want them to see? Like, what's the coolest part of the model? Make that what people <laughs> Don't look use the at word first. cool. We're talking about colors. <laughs> you mean warm colors. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most interesting portion of the model that you want people to look at first? I'm First. sorry. I'm eye rolling audibly. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So, what is so... the neatest thing on the model? <laughs> and <laughs> you need to make that what is the most eye catching. Whatever okay. you think is the neatest thing on the model would have the most probably OSL if you're going with a dark scheme. Okay. Yeah. It's also, okay, so I found some really interesting reference images. Like, the, the first thing they showed us where it's the, the ISA fighting the, the Marcher Worlds. Mm -hmm. If you look at that picture, they use all kinds of interesting, like, blues and greens in the yeah. shading of the armor. So it's not, like, just straight gray, but they've got, like, these blue subtones, which mm -hmm. makes it look really interesting and contrasts real well with the, the yellow, and it makes it more interesting. Um, that's actually a mistake a lot of amateur painters make is they always use white for a highlight and black for a shadow where it's actually better to use more chromatic things because they don't mute the rest of your colors. White and black desaturate anything they touch instantaneously. So you'll lose vibrance, you'll lose uh, depth, visual depth to a model by adding white and black. So yep. if you can make a highlight with yellow and you can make a shadow with a really dark blue, they will appear more vibrant and have a better contrast than white and black would for those same things. Wait, so even if I'm painting something that's supposed to be ostensibly white or black? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. look at anything in real life that's supposed to be white. It's not actually white. It's probably yellow Correct. and purple mixed together and then a bunch of white added to it. Yep. Your eyes are very, very easy to trick. Yeah. Okay, I, I was just talking about how magenta isn't a real color. <laughs> yep, yeah. sure ain't. Um, it's also important to note that sometimes if you want to make something desaturated, you can just take a color, add black to it, and then add the same amount of white to it, and you get the same color but desaturated, which is really cool. Sometimes that's a look you want. Okay, when do I want to desaturate? Uh, when you want it to look less vibrant and alive and, like... Mm -hmm. So, yeah, oh, so, like, so like real quick. So like if so like the glows on like the on the thighs and the legs where I don't want to draw attention to, but I still want them to match the color scheme, I would desaturate those. Exactly. No. Ah! <laughs> it's a good 
desaturating glows is hard. Okay. I would not recommend trying it yet. That that's well, that's the only. Okay, when he says to desaturate them, I would take that to mean when he's putting the 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 OSL on there, he has added a drop of white to it. Okay, sure. As opposed to like trying to paint white on top of a given glow, like if you're using this bright bright a green for a glow or this bright yellow for a glow on this part he may do it just that straight mixture well, he's made and then over here for this less important part he may add a drop of white to it to make it less visually pop yeah i, I do that with when i'm trying to make it appear like in darkness where I'll, mm -hmm. I'll mix it with some black or some gray and then yeah i get the same color but it doesn't draw attention exactly Okay. Uh, um, also, I, it occurs to me we probably should, real quick for layman's terms, when something is saturated as opposed to desaturated, it is literally referring to the amount of brightness. So neon colors are extremely saturated, whereas like lavender or uh, periwinkle, beige. those are, yeah, those are very desaturated colors. Essentially, the more gray a color gets, regardless of black or white being added to it, that is a desaturated color. And yeah. vibrant, bright neon colors are very saturated. And I know that I have a huge problem where I only paint in vibrant colors. Most people do. <laughs> Thanks, Jade. Washes, <laughs> washes help to mask that uh, problem, for lack of a better term. Um, so, like, one thing that I did really early on when I didn't have a good grasp on manually saturating and desaturating my colors was throwing like Ags or Agrax Earthshade over a whole model. And that will instantaneously desaturate everything there because it's added that brown, which is already a desaturated color, on top of it. Um, so that's an easy fix if you're not comfortable making the attempt to manually mix your colors to be less saturated. You're worried about, you know, overshooting the white or the black or the gray or whatever. You so, can use a wash as a, a yeah. cheat. So is Jaden, like, actually anti-wash, or do you just not use them? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't use them. I don't, I think that if the goal is to make, is to get a model on the table and looking okay, then washes are great. If the goal yeah. is to get better at painting, washes in the traditional sense are kind of actively detrimental to. Yes, exactly that. I it's... honestly do not have a lot of time to paint. So when I'm painting, I'm taking shortcuts. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm using toothpicks. <laughs> I'm cheating. <laughs> well, so... yeah, cheating is painting. That's, that's why we're having this conversation. Exactly. Uh, on the flip side, I only really used washes for the first time on like an army about six months ago on my infernals. This is the first time I'd really used them. Um, so did it change your opinion? No, I still think that they're not going to help anybody get better at painting. But like, it looks like you got better at painting. <laughs> I mean, sure, but it's not actually getting you better. Like well, and, and the thing bottles is, the, of liquid skill. The well, the the skill ceiling of appearance of a wash is pretty low compared to like what you can do if you spend the time to practice. This is true. And it, it, it's also extremely frustrating for learning because you have to take a step backwards when you stop using them. Like yeah, I stopped, I stopped, yep. I stopped, I stopped using washes, and my model started looking worse. Yep. Yeah. No, that's absolutely certain. Because if you stop using a wash, suddenly you have to learn how to desaturate paint. Number one, you have to learn how to shade properly. Number two, you have to learn how to edge or dark line. That's 
the hardest one usually. And you have to figure out how to do this with paint colors that aren't just like open bottle apply this thing because mm -hmm. you have to mix them into the base tone to make it look pro look correct. And you can't use black because it doesn't work. And sometimes brown is the wrong one. So like good example of like non-intuitive shading tones. The, my favorite thing to shade green with is purple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to send no, you a picture. You. <laughs> I'll have to send you a picture of a painting that does that kind of stuff, yeah. and you'll you'll see it actually is super yeah. neat. So a fun little exercise that if anybody's kind of like, I'm bored, what should I do? Is um, take, like, basically a blister and prime it and then put each of the primary colors on it in like two or three different spots in like little squares and try shading them with a bunch of colors and see which ones yep. you like it's a uh, it's a good little exercise okay i don't know if i know what shading means uh <laughs> the opposite of a highlight okay so okay so where an edge highlight is like a super highlight a black line is a super shade yeah except for don't ever yes. use straight black if it's called black lining, I can't help you. It's called dark lining. It <laughs> oh. should be called dark lining. Okay, well, and so maybe that's the problem is that I have been highlighting with black and white. Yeah, I mean, so black and white can get you a certain look, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be as nuanced or interesting a lot of Grant the times. Granted, I go over that with the airbrush color. Pretty much yeah, and that, that certainly helps. Um, so, okay, so is, is that a strategy where I, like, I pick out the saturation levels... And then I go back and glaze with a color. Yep. That's that's sort of the baseline of sketch style. Um, there's entire like professional, ridiculously high-end painters whose whose approach to things is I'm gonna lay in all these colors in approximately the right spot and then I'm gonna airbrush glaze them together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a thing that's really, really good to to know how to do, actually. Because yeah, because that way I'm thinking uh, like I can separate into steps. I can think about here's I want to do the brightness pass, and then I want to do a color pass. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, um, professional like uh, illustrators, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Sabra, but I've seen them basically they pick out every single thing in their painting in grayscale digitally, and then mm -hmm. they go back in with other layers and they do color over it. Some people actually do it manually. They'll paint a grayscale painting and then go over it with color. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's, that's insane. <laughs> if you look back, I mean, on a canvas. After, oh wow, oh, that's really okay. <laughs> I'm if talking paint. The, uh, Warcaster Facebook page, like way back when when we were just starting to see renders and things, there was a guy who was doing some fan art on his on his iPad, and he did, he did the video capture of it, mm -hmm. and it's all grayscale, and then it's color on top. That's so cool. So it's it's a thing that works in multiple mediums and this is mm -hmm. this is one of them so and so that would save me from having to learn these color shades right uh it could certainly yeah i could uh, you'd have to play around with it i've never i've never thought about using it like like in that way but you could try it and you could yeah. mess around and then you could write an article about it so i can learn about it <laughs> well that's kind of what i've been doing with my flame in the darkness like i'm looking over my stuff right now and the first thing i do is i do um i do a white airbrush on everything i want to be bright everything i want to be lit by glow mm -hmm. and, and then i go back in and color it yeah i mean that's that sounds a lot like sketch style which is a which fun is, way to paint 
Which is what you taught me for Grimkin. I've been adapting since. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you started out in a very different place than most people, Brett. <laughs> so you're doing things now by habit that most people are like learning about way later in the game. I mean, that's because I am way later in the game. Yeah, fair. Like I've I've been pa- I've painted primary color metal wash and <laughs> for ten years. <laughs> fair enough. That's pretty right. sweet. What else do you want to know? Okay, so I want to start talking specific color choices. Okay. Um, so okay, so for my neutral color, um, so so it's going to be something desaturated. So it's going to be something between black and white. So we were talking about like maybe like a gray, maybe like a bluish gray, like to contrast because with the warmer color. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So like a, what okay. warm color are you wanting to go with? Because you can check the color wheel and see what its complementary color is uh, and play with that. Yeah. Okay. I'll play around with that. Um. So I want, I want a color that isn't hard to do, and I know, I know, yellow is hard to do. Yes. Yellow um, is hard. Yes, is. Red is hard. Purple but, is hard. I was gonna say hard. Red, <laughs> red is say not. Red, red is, red is not that hard. Yeah. Red's probably the easiest of the warm colors. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think a red, a purple would probably look really good. I just, I don't know how to do a warm purple really well. You just yeah. add more red to it. You add more red to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so, it becomes uh, like pinky. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I have. I think that's how I'm doing. Like my my thermite leaders. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. Okay. So, what is the process for getting up to a gray like that? Personally, uh, I start with uh, a, a glob of white, and I will add in whatever color it is I want it to be tinged by. So in, in this case, blue, you suggested mm-hmm. and mix it until it's basically just an off white. And then like the smallest amount of black and you just add in like just the, <laughs> I cannot exaggerate this, <laughs> the smallest amount of black a little bit at a time. So basically you put in enough color in the white so that you can see it basically Mm -hmm. as soon as as soon as the white changes color noticeably then you start adding in your black until you find the value you want which is the light and dark range but Um, you start with white and go darker because it's it is impossible to lighten a black effectively without burning through your entire white bottle sure okay um I'm talking about base coats too. Like, so do you do you like mix up this color and then just like apply it in layers, or do I need to like do I start with black, then I zenithal, then I like have this darker, like I have the brightest shade and I pick out a bunch of spaces and I add some more black and go back and do some slightly darker ones. So, I'm gonna throw out a somewhat crazy idea here. Um, uh oh, have you heard of wet blending? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. What is wet blending? All right. Here's what wet blending is, and it's not as scary as it sounds. It sounds really, it's really scary. Not. It's, involves, not. it's not. Involves, involves eating paint and holding two paintbrushes in one You're hand. You're wrong. Scared. <laughs> it has nothing to do with either of those things. It involves Wait. one paintbrush. Is this different than two brush blending? It is different than two brush blending. Ah, why does it use the same word? Don't they know? Well, because we blending is just mixing things. Nope. Nope. 
All right. So here's 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 how wet blending works, okay? And this is part of why a wet palette's going to be really useful, I think. Okay. Wet blending works like this. You take pretty much unthinned paint of your base color, like your middle color, and you slap it on a predetermined amount of your model. So like when I'm doing it, I'm like, all right, this front portion of this armor plate. While that is still wet, you clean off your brush, you get your highlight color, you start your highlight color at the edge where you want it to be the brightest, and you just lather it on your model until you get to the still wet darker paint color, and you mix it in there, and it creates a gradient. And I do this as a base coat on a lot of things, because my kind of philosophy is I hate base coating, so if I can make it more interesting and also eliminate steps, it makes me a happier person. Okay. So uh, you can't. Here, the the problem with wet blending is that it's very very difficult to do really really bright highlights baseline there because you're mixing it with another color on the model. Mm -hmm. But it creates that light to dark gradient um, on something really really quickly, and then you can highlight up from there with either like edge lighting or line highlighting or glazing or lots of things, um, and you can do it really really quickly. Didn't uh, Dallas do a video painting a protectorate jack explaining wet blending once? I feel awesome. like he did. The the one that I'm really like the video that really made it click for me is one by Painting Buddha where he's painting the the shield maiden and he he wet blends her face and it's like 80% of the work and I'm just like, "Oh, that seems real legit." Mm -hmm. <laughs> um so yeah, and you can do it remarkably quickly. Like, Brett, you've seen my, my Thamorite Archons, right? I don't remember off the top of my head. Sorry. Okay. Well, I, I wet blended a lot on my Flames in the Darkness army, and most of those models took a fraction of the time that they look like they took. So, okay, so how do I keep it from drying out? So I pick, like, a small portion, like a foot? Yeah, also, you don't thin your paints. Thinned out paints dry faster than, than unthinned paints. Really? Thinned out? Like... What what if I use the mixing medium, thinner medium? Uh, that depends. Most of the time, that will keep it about the same as a regular unthin paint. Okay, because mm -hmm. I th I thought glazes dried a lot slower. Glazes dry a lot slower if you like slop them on there. Oh, so it's not that they're drying slower; it's that you were trying to tell me to let them dry completely. Yeah. Whereas this is the opposite. Yeah, you don't want okay. this to dry at all if you can help it. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. That's why I'm doing a small area. That's why I'm not doing assembly line. Okay. And so you said the goal is I start with a you start, start with, with medium color. Medium tone. You So you want already prepared a medium tone, a fairly high highlight, and then a dark. Okay. Of, you put, of my neutral color. Of your neutral color. You put your mm -hmm. neutral color on the plate, or on the piece of the... I'm saying plate of armor. Here. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So you, 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 put your, you put your neutral color on the plate of armor, and then like... So say you're doing like a straight up top... Uh, top is light, bottom is dark gradient. Mm -hmm. You put a big stripe of medium color in the middle. And then you grab your white or your, your highlight color and you start at the top edge and then you go um, horizontally across the plate if it's like a long plate. And, well, even if it's not, horizontally along this until you get down to the color that you'd already put on there. And then you just sort of mix those two colors in there until it looks pretty smooth. Then you, you clean off your brush, you get your dark color, and you go from the bottom up, and you mix that into your middle color until that looks pretty smooth. And sometimes you might need to refresh your middle color because it will have dried out by the time you get to your dark tone. But that can mm -hmm. give you this nice gradient with basically no work that's as fast as doing a base coat because it is a base coat. Okay. 
and and so it doesn't matter what I have primed because I'm because I'm using unthin paint, so it's going to cover it completely. Basically, yeah. But the primer can also give you like an idea, like when you do Zenithal priming and mm -hmm. you're not planning on using glazes right over top of it, it tells you where to start your colors. Okay. Because it's like up here is a highlight, so I'm going to start my light tone here. Down here is dark, so I'm going to start my dark tone down here, and mm -hmm. just go from there. Which is like it's a nice little guide. Okay. All right, and so. So I would do my neutral color first. Would I do the same? Well, and then okay. So so for the neutrals, I, I think all I would have to do is that, as I just wet blend and then I highlight to fix whatever's left. Yep. So yep. for my bright portions, so there's two main ways that the brights exist on this model. There are the little glowing lines, mm -hmm. and then there's the big hex patterns. Okay. So for the little glowing lines, what I would recommend doing is I would. Base coat those in the lightest possible color and that you're going to use. So, like, in these pictures, if you look at the, the ISA stuff that's the studio scheme, it's that insanely intense yellow, right? Yep. Okay, not then, the orange. No, not the orange. Then you're going to take a very thin orange, and you're going to glaze it around the edge. Yep. And that's pretty much all you're going to do. And I want to get some of it on the gray, right? Uh, it depends on you what you like the look of. They don't do it on the studio mm -hmm. scheme at all, and that's fine. But yeah, it can. Um, if you're going to do it like that, what I would recommend doing first is edge lighting the gray with pretty much pure white so that it looks like it's actually got glow on it. Otherwise, it's just going to look like orangey gray. Right, it's, like yeah, it's going to look like you spilled yeah. <laughs> rather than it's intentional. Now, the hexes are, I think I would probably go about these backwards from that. I would base coat in orange. Because you're going to... So I, I want the inner part to be as dark as possible, and then I want glow. I want it to be brighter and brighter the higher up I get. Yeah. So just like how you usually do inside-out stuff, right? Um, you say that, the... but I've never done it well. I've always okay, done it. Okay, so you always want to start with like the most inner section of whatever it is you're painting, right? Mm -hmm. as, as much as possible, because spilling into something is harder than spilling out of something. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to want to base coat like I'm looking at the, the firebrand shield here you're going to want to base coat this in the orange or the darker color and then mm -hmm. from there you're going to want to very carefully pick out the hexes in your middle yellow color because your yellow color is going to have two tones it's going to have the middle tone and it's going to have the really bright tone and then you're going to want to pick out the edges of some of those hexes if you look at this pattern on here all of the hexes are not the same color Yeah, right. some there's of them have, almost yeah, some waves of, of energy yep. Yeah, 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 and it's a sweet look. And so if you look at them, some of them have one thin layer of yellow. Some of them have two thin layers of yellow. Some of them have a third layer, and some of them have that third layer as like a stripe in the middle of them. Mm -hmm. Right? And yeah, so that's... Cutting across them. Yeah, exactly. And so that's going to be how you get that effect out of it. Um, and then he's gone and, around okay, the wait, entire shield and, with that edge light. Okay, yeah. So this is... So am I right in thinking that because these are the focus of the model, I should be spending most of my time on on these on these points of interest? Yes, oh. because they are going to be the eye-catching things. In fact, if like when you look at the firebrand, you don't look at his waist. You don't look at his thighs. No, because it's like, this huge black area. Right. Yeah. It's not actually black. If you look at the model, it's not black. It's actually yeah. dark yeah. blue. Oh, so, blues and greens and Right, you see what I mean? Those okay, dark and that's, colors. And that's what you're telling me to do. Yep. Yes. Okay. 
Because if they were black, they would disappear almost entirely. You wouldn't see any detail. Because they're actually a slaty blue, you can still see detail, but it's not your eye isn't drawn to it. Your eye is drawn to the middle of that shield and then to his shoulders and then to his face. Mm-hmm. Or to his face and then his shoulders, depending on, you know, your point of point of view. But and, yes, because those my are goal, the, my my goal is to make weapons face the the points of interest, right? Yeah. It's pretty much. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, um, if you look at the various weapons that are used by these models, like the Firebrand, if you look at his sword, it's almost all orange, and then there's white, yellow edge lights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the orange even gets darker in some places. Where if you look at the Paladin Solo, uh, his sword does this variation thing where it's, like, really intense dark orange in the lower third of the blade and then it gradiates out from that point and it's like that waves of energy look again because it's yeah. going lighter in both directions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay also something that's interesting is if you look at the fire branch the shield is there's no localized point of focus for any of the power but if you look at the solos his power source in the middle is obviously white hot in the center of it. So that's a couple of different approaches you can take to that. Like you could get the, the effect, the effect that is on his shield and translate that to the hex grid on the firebrand shield by, instead of putting them in these waves and chunks like that, you would just do them centrally around that middle metal piece Mm-hmm. And as you go out, do them darker the way they did on his shield. I personally don't think that's as dynamic or interesting, but some people might prefer that. Sure. I like the logic of it, right? Okay. Um, do I need a second gray color, like how they alternate in the bigger model? I mean, I they alternate on all the models, actually, if you look mm-hmm. at them closely. There's, there's a flat gray and there's a metallic gray. Um, you'll find it's a lot more boring if you don't, but it it is extra work to do the other version. Okay. So I should, I should pick like a darker gray and a lighter gray. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like blowing up these pictures and then sort of templating off of them and then just changing whichever colors you want is not a bad way to go. Okay. It's really not. Should I, should I feel shame in that? Like, should I be trying to strike out of my own? No, not at all. Like, uh, there is nothing new under the sun, Brett. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When I started painting Judgment Minis, that was the first time I played. I painted it 54 millimeters. I, the first three I did, I literally copied the studio scheme, like brush stroke for brush stroke. Um, and if I was gonna, like, if I was starting off again, I would probably do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's there's a lot to be learned by looking at the things better painters have done and trying to reconstruct how they did it. Even if you're changing the colors, the technique and the placement of their highlights and their shadows is there for a reason. And it makes it look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I keep, I keep looking at all these people posting models and I keep point like seeing these striking things and I'm not sure how to get there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was actually told something similar about playing uh, war machine when I first started. Um, Cause I played with Kaya and I was like, I mean, I get her yo-yo trick, but I was trying to build something, you know, unique and and not netlist or whatever. And I was literally told verbatim, you're not a snowflake. This wins. (laughs) And I was like, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. We've said things like that, too. I've said things like that. It's funny that Mm -hmm. it's funny that I'm thinking that in painting now. It's 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 insidious. Well, I mean, 
so like here's the thing, Brett. Playing a game of War Machine to you at this point feels like a second nature thing, right? Yeah. But if you feel and actually okay maybe this isn't true because war machine was the first game i ever played but the first time i ever played a game of war machine and i sat down and i was like holy heck i have so many options like my models can move in inches i don't have hexes and define limits on those i don't have like hex range on my weapons and i can be wherever i want on the board like that kind of overwhelming feeling is very i think common for new players of war games and it's kind of like that in painting too Mm-hmm. Yep. And and yeah, and I I give the exact same advice you were talking about. I, netlist like until until you're an expert. Yep. And and like if you can find out who painted a specific thing that you want to copy and spoilers this was mostly Jordan. Um <laughs> like send him a message and be like, "How did you do this?" Dude, I bet uh, you'd make his day. I bet you'd make his day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can make it doubly in that. I can say, well, now I'm going to show the other people the cool thing you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Form. yeah. So. Okay. All right. So I need, I, I need to come up with a neutral gray that has a undertone of the opposite color of whatever oh. I'm doing. Yep. I yeah. Like to... if you're doing, if you're doing green glows, a reddish brownish gray would be pretty cool if you're doing like okay, orange glows. Go ahead. I, I'm I'm always worried about things looking Christmassy. Uh, well, okay. So here's a good example of desaturation. Christmas mm-hmm. red and green is super duper saturated. Okay. But if you take so one of those two colors and don't make it saturated, it's a lot better. Especially if it's the red. Especially if it's the red. Uh, also, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that's just good. I, I was just like, well, and, and like, I have similar worries about like red and blue coming out looking like Spider Man. Me, but Spider Man's oh, well. awesome. Spider Man's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, some um, one of the other million heroes that are red and blue. <laughs> so, what I wanted to point out though is on those paladin enforcers, the darker gray they have there, we pointed out that it was blue. Mm-hmm. The color scheme for these. Uh, models is blue and orange. Those are complementary colors. They're opposite each other on the color wheel. But mm-hmm. you can't, you don't look at them and think this is a blue and orange model. It looks like a, a gray, black, yellow sort of model. But when you get yep. down to the nitty gritty of it, it's complementary colors. It's blue and orange and they look good together. Yeah. And so, they've further blown out the fact that, like, they've further disguised the fact that these are blue grays by making the bases freaking blue. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. really, really blue. Which I'm not going to do, right? I, I need to draw attention away from the base. Well, the reason it works here is because the base is a cool color, and all of the focal points on the model are warm colors, which naturally draw your eye more. Okay. Yep. Um, okay, so oh, then... Right, one right. thing I would point out real quick. Uh, if you do do a two-tone gray mm-hmm. for different things, make sure that you are consistent model to model about where you place them. And what I mean by that is like, if you look at the uh, firebrand there, the darker color is for the interior parts of the jack, whereas the lighter gray is the exterior parts. Don't swap that on a different model because that will be not super noticeable when you're painting it, but when you put it on the table, it'll be very noticeable. Yeah, I actually found that with my Grimkin. Um, so I did, I reversed the colors for the leaders. And um, I I had a problem where sometimes I put the leaders in the wrong units. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so then, how do I how do I pick a warm color? Like, like you get a piece of paper and you paint those colors on the paper and you figure out which ones you like. Yep. Okay. Or alternatively, you um, there's some of the the line arts for the concept sketches are floating around. Um, you well, like okay. so what what makes a color more difficult because that's one of my biggest fears is that i'm going to pick a yellow and I like like i'm like i want to do yellow and white but i'm i've told that those are the two hardest colors what makes them so, so hard they're hard because they don't cover very well and they're hard yeah. to get consistent so what ends up happening is you get these really streaky looking paint jobs and no matter how many layers of paint they don't cover the previous streaky layer very well and mm -hmm. so you get these like inconsistent looking things unless you start off very disciplined with really thin layers and do a lot of them and make sure they cover evenly yep. and let them dry all the way in between. It's really hard to be patient enough for that. Mm -hmm. And it also requires you to have good enough technique over and over and over again as you're applying the paint. Mm -hmm. Yep. Often okay. yellow will end up chunky because you tried to cover it too many times and then you gave up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, it's just, it's a yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, if you want to do yellow, the best way that I've found to do yellow is to do your base coat with tan and go from there because the tan gives you an undertone that's nice and smooth. And then the yellow on top of that, the bright, bright yellow doesn't show the streakiness under it because there's no streakiness. The tan was nice and smooth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm upset. Cause now I have to think more. So I, I really like the black and red. Um, mm -hmm. That's classic. And then the, sure. all, the and then the opposite of that would be is it a teal or teal is more orange. Uh, uh the complementary color. Yeah. To the complementary color for yes, it would be a dark, dark, dark green if you were going to use it for an undertone. There, literally, you could do like a dark gray and then just put like uh, just the very smallest bristle full yeah. of green <laughs> and, into it. And it could be, you could try this because there's going to be two options for your greens here. You could do a bluish green, which would look like foresty. And like, mm -hmm. that's what camouflage typically ends up looking like if it's, if it's meant for forest. Mm -hmm. Or it's a yellow green, and that's going to look more like, like actual camo. Mm -hmm. um, so th there's, there's two options there. And that's the thing about most of these is that you have options for which side of the color you want to be your, your, mm -hmm neutral tone and again i would just like prime a piece of plastic and try yep. it okay um what what is the brighter form of red is it pink the brighter form of red okay this is this is why red is hard in my opinion yeah the brighter form of red is more intense red oh mm -hmm. so what you have to do is you have to highlight up to basically yellow and then use inks or glazes to bring that top color to not ridiculous looking mm -hmm. um or you have to shade with purple or brown or something. Um, that's okay. why red is hard as okay, a glow. Can we, can we just walk through the warm colors and talk about like what you would have to do for each of them? So like, sure. okay, so okay, well, so, so I think yellow and orange are kind of the same thing, right? Where it's you use the other one. Yeah, ye yellow yep. is brighter than orange. <laughs> um, so what's next up? So red, you said it's more intense red or i basically brown down the rest of it i would probably yes. purple down it if you're trying for like a glowy effect because then it's going to look like um it's going to look more energy like 
because you're going from that low, like purple is saturated and energy typically in our imaginations for science fiction is, is really saturated. Mm-hmm. Brown is not very much. So I would start okay. with right. like a warm purple and then go up to red and then maybe edge light the red in orange and that will make it stand out a lot. Mm-hmm. And you said, how do you do it for the warm colors? It's actually the primary colors. Blue is included in this. In order to get a more saturated red, yellow, or blue, you need oh. a brighter of those because they can't be mixed. Can't well, you can mix red, actually. You can mix a more intense red. If you mix magenta and yellow, you get a crazier red. Well, fun, fair. <laughs> okay. Generally but, speaking. But yes, blue is blue is hard to... Uh, intensify up, which is why most people that highlight blue up energy wise tend towards a green highlight, like a a really pale green, and then they desaturate or they they glaze down into the to the blue from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know how you make yellow more intense because I just don't. <laughs> but I, uh, I've generally, been it's white. Fight. Yeah, yeah. Generally, it's white, and, and it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's a trick of the eye because you're not actually making it brighter. It actually is desaturating, but it's kind of like the magenta thing where you're tricking the person's eye into seeing it. And yeah. it's it's like the middle of that uh, Paladin Solo's shield. It's mm-hmm. it's actually just a big section of white amid yellow. But if you're looking at it from you know far enough away, your eye mixes it and blends it for you. And it looks like yeah. it's actually intense yellow. And the other thing they've done here is they've taken the yellow and then they've shaded down from it so that the yellow is the most intense thing. And that's the other thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then, oh, sorry. so then we were talking about purple as a warm color. Yep. Yes. Uh, if you take blue and red and mix them together and put more red in, you'll get a warm purple. Um, mm-hmm. yes. I also like starting with a premixed magenta because that takes about half the work out for you. Yes, add, it does. red to that. Okay, and then and then you highlight it up with red? Yep, highlight up to your pure red, and then I edge light that with a little bit of orange. Okay, yeah. how, how is this different than the red strategy? Is it like how yellow and orange is the same? Uh, kind of, yeah. Like, the thing, about, the thing about glows is that single-tone glows don't work on models, for the most part. They really don't. Because if you look up, like, light sources of a color in real life and then apply them to a thing, it just turns the thing that color. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to capture that on a miniature, which is why tone glows tend to be two-toned when they're, when they're like these ones on, on the, um, the Warcaster models. Kind of like the non-metallic metal thing where you're trying to simulate lighting with paint. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And it's hard. Okay. Um, and then for a green, do you do yellow? Yep, usually. Yep. All right. I've seen green done up to yellow, and I've seen like dark green done up to like neon blue. I've also done green up to white, and I've, I've actually done blue up to white, but that ends up being more like white hot fire, less mm-hmm. of the sci-fi energy pulse. So it depends on what you want it to look like. Yeah. Yep. I think it's funny that I'm going to end up with Eternus colors. <laughs> <laughs> because they look dope. They, they do look dope. I agree. Okay. My uh, friend got his Eternus today, and he brought it over. He didn't even open hardly any of it. He opened one model. 
just to look at it and he brought the rest of it over here so I could squee over it and I was like you are the man <laughs> well so I've only seen the ISA in person and they're just so much better than the render have you been finding that in the other factions too yes yes yeah. I have I'm very like, excited for this game like, I, like the render for the weaver looked like shit and the actual paladin weaver is kind of an amazing model yeah I actually was kind of surprised I was I'm I'm not a huge fan of the weavers via concept art and then yeah. the, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I liked the Eternus Weaver. Yeah. Yeah, looking at the the Eternus like official scheme, there's a red glow and then there's a really light desaturated green gray and then there's a really dark desaturated green gray and that's the color scheme. Okay. Red and green. So, they don't yeah. look like Christmas. <laughs> okay, so that's probably what I'll do. And then they have a purple base because like I said, green and purple, it's awesome. It is. What's green and purple? My green and purple is just awesome. Uh, but the base They're... of the Eternus stuff is purple. Yeah, okay. green and purple are complementary colors. So if I wanted to do, like I was talking about with a, like a contrasting splash of color, then I could do like a purple, like a really yep. bright purple. Yeah, that'd yeah. be perfectly like, fine. Like I want to do like a splash of blood over the bayonet or like some graffiti like I was talking about. Yeah, cool. could totally work. I also have no idea what to do with the void gates. <laughs> I guess they're just pure glow. Yeah, you you do what you did with the other thing. You do the yellow, yeah. and then you glaze down to the orange at the edges. Yep. Cool. All right, that wasn't that painful. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, okay. I think it's time to do end stuff now. Wait, no, complementary color with purple is orange, isn't it? My bad. Yeah, I don't know it why totally purple is. and green look together. They're just, they look good together. They really do. Uh, they really, really do. Yeah. Anyhow, with that, I'd like to thank everybody who supports us on Patreon. You guys have been fantastic. I can't believe that the Patreon is still, like, existing at the moment so you guys are fantastic and we love you um if you want to check that out uh you can go to patreon.com slash los war machine and it's basically just a tip jar for everything we do there's nothing locked behind paywalls and uh yeah everything's free just it's like uh it's like our tip jar that's how chandler describes it uh we'd like to thank our sponsors at broken egg games and at figurepainters.com uh they've been great to us and if you want to go to broken egg games and use our code which is los5 c-o-d-e you'll get five percent everything uh five percent off everything in your order from their online store um we our twitter handles because chandler does twitter first uh is i'm at LOS underscore Jaden. Brett is at Jokeobsess underscore LL. Sabra, do you have a Twitter? I have one, but I'm never on it. <laughs> okay, cool. And Same as Chandler's <laughs> is uh, at LOS underscore Chandler. Uh, our Facebook page is Line of Sight. It's a podcast page. You can find everything we do there. Our website is LOSWarMachine.com, where you can find all of the stuff that we're doing with Brawl Machine and our new player guides and all the other cool stuff that we've got coming out. Um, We've got a sweet Discord, which is linked in the show notes, and uh, you should come and hang out with us there because it's a cool place. Um, also, you can email us at loswarmahords at gmail.com because loswarmachine at gmail.com was taken, apparently. And, Rude. Yeah. And you can find any of us on Facebook. We're pretty chatty there. Or on Discord, where I'm way more chatty than everybody else, but you can still find them there if you want to. Yeah. I answer ads. 
There you go. <laughs> Don't at me. Nailed For it. Real the, opposite, the opposite. At me. <laughs> <laughs> Did I stutter, Brett? <laughs> <laughs> I'm desperate for attention. At me. <laughs> This pandemic is breaking us. It's fine. It's, so it's fine. I'm an introvert, and I'm even. I've got too much time alone. I didn't think that was possible. This is hilarious because I think, as an extrovert, I've turned into an introvert. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it broke me. <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. That's exactly. That's it. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Uh, until then, bye. Bye.